0: Hi and welcome back to Sharp Scratch. You're listening to episode 68. What is it actually like to work in a hospital? This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we bring together medical students, junior doctors and expert guests who discuss all the things you need to know to be a good doctor, but that you might not necessarily get told at medical school. I'm Pat, I'm the editorial scholar here at the BMJ and I'm also a medical student at Anglia Ruskin University. Today I'm very very pleased to be joined by our friends Kaode and Anisha. Kaode, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hello. Hi, my name is day I am a fifth, year, fifth and final year medical student at the University of Dundee, which is the sunniest city in Scotland. Although it's not that sunny right now, but it was very sunny this morning and I felt really bad for my flatmate He's on nights this week. So he you, you, you must have found, not must have, he is finding it very difficult to get back to sleep just keeps on waking up i feel bad for him
0: oh yeah it must be and like and you'll be a junior doctor well in a few months time right Ugh, yes apparently <laughs> <laughs> how are you feeling about that um i
1: don't know i feel like i just i i want to start being in the hospital and getting paid to be in the hospital now um, this is my second degree, I feel like I've been a student forever, so I'm just, I'm ready to um, be paid for work, but at yep. the same time, I'm like,
0: No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can relate, yeah. I'm also a grad as well, just Yeah. can't wait. Yeah, well, no, always nice to have you, and I guess we'll introduce Anisha as well, who's now a working junior doctor. Anisha, would you like to introduce yourself?
2: <laughs> yes, I'm Anisha, I'm currently an F1. I graduated from Kings last year. Um, yeah, it's only been—I mean, it's only been six months of being in F1 so far, but honestly, it feels like it's been about three years. Um, but
0: I wouldn't worry. It's a good thing or bad thing?
2: I think I think it's a good thing, you know, because I don't feel like an imposter as much. I guess that's good, but Katie, don't don't worry. Once you get stuck in, you'll be absolutely fine.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's why I keep on telling myself, like I, I, I yeah, I think I'm okay. Like practically, I can do mm. things. I know how to work, but I don't know if the knowledge is there anymore.
2: If it makes you feel any better, you're one step ahead of me. I didn't feel okay with practical stuff. Didn't feel okay with knowledge stuff, and. I still made I it. can
1: print things and how to work a printer. That's stuff.
2: absolutely fine. That's <laughs> that's
0: great. We can delve a little bit deeper into like working as a junior doctor. Um, later in the episode and I guess I'm also very excited to introduce our expert guest today, Dr. Kevin Teo. Kevin, would you like to introduce yourself?
3: Hi everyone, uh, I'm Kevin Theo. I'm a chartered psychologist, I'm also lecturing in organisational psychology, so the world of work and its impact on our health and well-being is really what I'm interested in.
0: Yeah, um, and I saw that you also research into um, like working conditions of doctors and you know, its psychological impact, so yeah, definitely interested in hearing a little bit more about it later. So thank you for joining us today. Well, we spend most of our careers navigating the sanitised wards and corridors of a hospital. And while the jobs that we do vary every day, there's one common thing that we share, the general working conditions. And I thought in this episode we can discuss a little bit about our working environment and how it impacts our performance at work, and also the quality of care that patients receive. Um, working conditions are closely associated with work satisfaction and morale and when with increasing demands in our health service that's under pressure, how can we how can the working environment be optimized to improve workforce satisfaction? And I thought we could approach this by dividing it into, you know, the software and the hardware of a hospital. Uh, in terms of the hardware of the hospital, I think well, in my experience I've, you know, sat on a bin at Hanover on the ward, uh, slept on a stained couch in a doctor's mess when I was in night shift, etc. So, yeah, I thought these are just some examples I've experienced before uh, when working in a hospital. Um, Anisha and Caraday, is there anything that you could think of that really only exists in the NHS, but somehow people have just learned to live with it?
1: Computers that don't work, that's my favourite. Like, like, there's just so many and so many systems. Like, the technology in NHS is just abysmal I know like there's the whole NHS digital health thing going on but Mm. I'm not seeing (laughs) the impact like even as a medical student and a healthcare assistant like it's Mm. just so difficult to just get things done you end up you, you spend more time waiting for the computer to work than actually doing what you want to do and I just don't have time for it I'm a very impatient person We've had an entire episode about this, so...
2: <laughs> yeah, 100% agree with that. Katie, you're probably going to have to work on your patience when you start work. Um, I think printing, which is why I applauded you for being good at printing. Half the time, I think, when printers don't work, label printing doesn't work. So, so especially for, say, DGHs, which still use paper um, notes, so I'm working at DGH at the moment, if I don't have a printer working, I cannot do my job. Um, I think that's probably the most, most bizarre thing to just accept. You know, consultants or higher trainee doctors don't really have to deal with that. So you you look like someone who doesn't know how to work a printer or find a pen, something basic like that. I think that's bizarre, the fact that that's part of being a doctor. Especially as an F1 in your, in your junior years, I find that I'm not using my brain as much as I want to unless I'm on on calls it's just you know notes and finding a pen finding a printer that works that makes me a good f1 and I think that's bizarre
1: (laughs) I can do that I'm ready to be an (laughs) f1 now I, I have a little man bag based on a sharp scratch episode that has snacks in there pens in there I even put some pens in my hair as well. I, I'm always ready with a pen, so I think I'm, you know what, just make me an F1 now, I'm ready, I can do it. I, I have pens, that's one thing I know I'm good at.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of one of those Twitter threads that goes like, um, tell me that you're working in an NHS without telling me that you're working in an NHS. Like, it, I don't know, like, why is it so hard to um, find, what, just pens for example or just, that like, resources to you know, help you to do your job?
2: Another one is, um, I fortunately didn't have to work on Christmas. I have colleagues who did. I remember our F, we have a group chat with all our F1s. And I remember some of them were taking photos of the fact that the canteen was just closed. There were no shops Mm. that were open on, you know, Christmas, Boxing Day, New Year's. So no one, if you didn't bring food in that day, you just didn't have food at all. Mm. Which I think is quite it's quite NHS. (laughs) I think that's quite bizarre as well. Yeah. Just, you know, just thinking, oh, people might need food. I think that's quite basic.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's all like these basic amenities things that, you know, kind of integral to having a good working condition and therefore assist us to working as um, healthcare workers. And I know, Kevin, you've done research on working conditions and you know, well-being of, uh, well-being of healthcare workers. Is this something that you see in your research too?
3: Um, yeah, definitely. So I do, I do a lot of work with healthcare workers, but also in uh, non-healthcare settings. And one of the things which always strikes me is, is, is the comparison that basic things and needs for healthcare workers aren't, aren't provided for or aren't taken into consideration. So, you know, where you sleep, where you rest having access to basic things like um, food or drink, or even being able to go to the toilet or having a working toilet, mm. um, those sorts of stuff, or being <laughs> told you've got to go to work, but then no one tells you where you park your car and what, that, what, what is that going to cost you. And these are things which, which in the private sector or, in, or even in other public sector roles, people don't think about. And, and so whenever I'm working with colleagues in the NHS, it's just things like it's a different world uh, and it's, it's strange because often when we talk about well-being, um, in lots of other industries, we're talking about more psychological elements of it because the assumption is is the basic already is there. Um, but in, unfortunately, in, in lots of places in, in the NHS, that's not quite the case. Um, so often we, we, when we speak to, to managers or, or, or trusts, it's about raising these questions and going basic things like sleep, parking, eating. Where is that? How is that being done? Because you need to get all that sort of stuff sorted as well, um, alongside any other sort of well-being offering that, that you might have.
2: I, I think I focused on food quite a bit, but while you were talking, you mentioned drinks, and I just remembered something that's quite NHS is, and I do this all the time, I love coffee, I need coffee to get me through the day, and I think the most NHS thing I do is... If you're lucky, you might catch the volunteers going across with their trolleys and their little instant coffee sachets, mm. and it's the best time of the day if you happen to bump into them and they give you a little plastic cup and an instant coffee sachet with a little bit of milk. I just, that has made my day every time, and I think if I try to explain that to some some say some of my friends who may you know may be, you know working for corporate firms or. Mm. if i explained this situation to them they would just laugh at me but for me that's the most exciting part of the day just getting a little cup of coffee and a little biscuit makes me so happy
1: that makes me so sad because it sounds like <laughs> you clearly you clearly don't have taste buds because i'm such a coffee snob i can't i cannot be drinking that instance coffee from the sachet Oh, god forbid what is wrong with you anisha i, I just don't it. understand i'm sorry i bring my own coffee and i have like a little cafeteria and everything as well like oh I, wow i i am not compromising on my coffee like the, the the lowest i'll stoop to is the is the doctor's mess coffee which is a bit weird. Mm. but it's so it's better than the little sachets anisha i don't know what your um doing with your life and i'm i'm not not comfortable with it we need to have words
2: (laughs) when you start on calls i want you to send me a photo of you with a cafeteria in the encore room
1: oh yeah i have i have two different ones i have one i have four cavities really so two stay in the flat one goes with me on out blocks and like one is um like a travel cafeteria i do not compromise my coffee like no way no 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 (laughs) (laughs) absolutely not but it's but it's so interesting um when kevin was saying um that comparing it to the private sector and nhs like it's really it's really really um i guess concerning because my my siblings they're both they're older than me and they both work in the private sector and stuff and Mm -hmm. just hearing stuff like um my brother, when he has to work late, he's provided a taxi home and given a Mm. dinner voucher. And I'm I'm just a bit like, what?
0: Yeah. You get a
1: taxi home? What's this about? And it's just like those little little things where like you're acknowledging that, okay, yes, you're staying late and it's not your fault that you're staying late. Like something's Mm. happened and you've had to stay to fix it. So we're going to make sure you get home well rested so you can come in the next day or whatever.
2: It's it's difficult, I think, especially when you start working for the NHS, as I did, say, six months ago. I think it's a sort of mindset shift where I don't know if this is normal or not or whether it should be accepted. But I feel that this is my job now. And because it's the public sector, I guess I don't have huge expectations because at the end of the day we're providing free healthcare and I know we're not working in the private sector so I'm not expecting the most expensive coffee and dinner paid for and taxis home and I think I think I came to a realisation where this is my job and I think when I come home at the end of the day I know I've done you know good deeds that day and that, that gives me a lot of job satisfaction so for the moment I think what's keeping me going is the fact that I enjoy being a doctor in the NHS despite no coffee and, you know, questionable food. But I don't know mm-hmm. if that's something that should be accepted or not, but I feel to get through the day and accept where you're working and who you are, it's something that just needs to be done.
3: I, th- I think that acceptance is important. And I think however you get through the day um, is something for individuals to work through. Um, but I do think that actually as an employee, as the NHS, as an employer, has a duty of care. Um, and I think sometimes the values that all of you have in a way get taken advantage of um, because you talk about the love for the NHS, for your patients, and it means that you go above and and beyond. And we may talk about this later on, but there's this whole notion about can that sustain you through potentially a a lifelong career? Mm -hmm. Um, And we know from health and safety legislation that, that all employers have a duty of care to their employees, and that applies to the NHS as well. Uh, so how that translates into 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 practice is is I think the big question. Um, so I would say it's, it's great that you've got that and and that's wonderful. And I think you know if, if if all of us have that, that's that's super. But I also think that we should also have the right to question and and to ask and to ask for change and to expect change because um, all of you deserve to work in healthy working environments. And it's not just you; it's for your colleagues and the people who come after you as well. Yeah. Uh, it's really interesting
1: that you brought that up Kevin that employers have like a duty of care towards their um, employees and stuff because every time this discussion rears its ugly head on Twitter yeah I I call them the back in my days you always have people who said oh back in my day we did blah 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 and we did 160 hours a week and Mm. we were fine and everything and I just always I always like bring it back to the fact that up until maybe 20 years ago every f1 in the country had accommodation like provided mm. for them when oh, they wow. started when when, when when they started working so um things like your um like your housing so i'm about to start working i don't know where i'm going to mm. be here yet but one thing that's in the back of my mind is okay i need to move house and i also need to go house hunting mm. and i feel like back in The day you didn't have that extra pressure on you trying to figure out where you're going to live and housing and accommodation is such a basic basic thing that you Mm. shouldn't really have to think too much about so i think you are 1000 percent right i think me personally i think doctors need to want better for themselves as well definitely Um,
2: which is which is why I i brought up the fact that i don't think that what i'm doing is should be accepted but it's just mm. what i've done in my mind i've subconsciously thought that
1: I, i'm i'm trying not to go into like my medico political mindset but, I, but but um as as some people already know i am part of a trade union for doctors mm-hmm. um but i i think when we're asking for things like people talk about oh yeah we want a 3% pay rise and i just sit there like what three percent pay rise i i I want and deserve way more than that like our pay Mm -hmm. has gone down so much like in real terms um in the last 15 years Mm -hmm. we need to at least like bring it back up to to make it comparable and then increase it but that's just like my own personal opinion um but it's a it's a it's a very very odd one because people always bring up like you said before Anisha, um, working in the public sector and all that, and and all those different things. And then people start making false comparisons with other people's jobs and everything. Mm. And I'm a bit mean, I'm just like, well, I don't care what what anyone else is earning. Like, I don't care what, what, well, I do care what other people are earning, I do care what other people's working conditions are, but it doesn't change the fact that we as a community or as a workforce deserve better um mm. i'm just thinking i've been talking for a while now but i'm just thinking um so i have some family that live in america and they're all like doctors and dentists and stuff And i remember i told my auntie how much the starting salary for um doctors in the uk was and she started laughing like she couldn't she couldn't stop laughing no and stop I was, <laughs> and she was like what <laughs> even the starting salary for like um nurses' assistants is more than that and she couldn't stop laughing and yeah it's, i guess it's a different system but mm. yeah
0: yeah i agree with you I, I mean i think some people would say that oh um i mean doctors are especially in this post well this like kind of covid environment people, doctors should be happy that they have a job and stuff and then you shouldn't be asking for more but i think the thing is like it's not sustainable to be you know earning that salary and as well as not having um like a satisfactory working conditions to like be sustainable and work in our jobs
1: about to go on another rant like grateful to have a job i think working is the biggest scam in the world the fact i have to work (laughs) to eat is a scam like (laughs) i should be able to just this is my socialist side coming out i should be able to just eat as a standard i should have mm. good living conditions as a standard i shouldn't have to suffer in order to eat it doesn't make any sense like what, you, what uh, this island is such bad vibes why can't we all just <laughs> uh, <laughs> why why can't we all just want to have like the basics and mm. be happy and then you know work not because we have to because we want to, because we want to contribute to society, not because if I don't work,
3: I will starve.
1: Mm. Rant over.
3: <laughs> well I think I think Carrie's right rant right, is, is really important and, and I really like it and I fully agree with you. I think fundamentally people work for different reasons, but I think at the core of, of what I believe in is that no one should go into work and end up in a worse position than they were before. And we're mm. talking you know predominantly about people's health and, and well being over here. It's it's not fair on, on you or me or anyone else to go into work and then potentially end up with uh, you know, a, a mental health condition or physical condition. Um, and, and so that's why we kind of go back to the whole notion of you know, what, is, what is a fair working environment? What's a good working environment like? Um, and the reality is that there is a lot that can be done and, and that should be done, um, mm-hmm. often more at a systems level, um, which does make it challenging. Uh, we perhaps might talk about that later on. Um, But really, I think it's it's recognizing that work can be good for us, but it can also be be bad for us, and it's about thinking that when we've got workplaces, we typically, from a research and practice perspective, separate aspects of work into things which we we know as job demands, so things which are maybe challenging and, and detrimental to us, but also job resources. Uh, So job resources are things which are beneficial for us. They help us get the job done. They also give us meaning and and purpose. And particularly in in environments where you've got very demanding, challenging jobs, then actually there needs to be a lot more done to build up those resources within the system.
2: Kevin, I'd be interested to talk about you said you mentioned systems in improving what we have now. and as well as considering what individuals want from their own careers, based on what you've seen or kind of people you've spoken to, would you say that, do you think the NHS is too much, it's too centred on service provision to the point where people's individual career paths are not really listened to as much, which is why you join the NHS and then all of a sudden you. I think a lot of people would just feel like they're part of this huge body, which on paper sounds great, you know, it's a really positive um, movement of people providing free healthcare, but then I think, would you say it's correct, that a lot of people might feel that their individual goals in life are not really taken into account? For example, in in training, I think... Maybe some doctors might feel that they are just providing a service to the point where they're not getting enough time to be able to do the things they need They need to do to specialise and train without it becoming extremely, extremely stressful to the point where they can't actually get to where they want to be or, you know, it starts affecting their own health.
3: Yeah, so that's a, a very interesting question. And to be perfectly honest, I'm not quite sure I know the answer. I think the NHS and your experiences are so vast that I think you've got pockets of, of good practice and and pockets of less of good practice and the experience of of, of people would 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 vary. I think and, and because you go through so many stages in terms of, of of your your training, your progression that I think there there'll be chunks which are good and there are chunks which which are which are bad. Um, and I think in terms of career development I mean, I've, I've seen and heard lots of, of, of good stories of, of people progressing and, and being, being able to end up where they are, but also equally kind of initial what you're alluding to, just being there to provide a service and, and, and to tick a box. I think sometimes there is also an element um, of being able to navigate the, the more informal space outside of the formal structures and looking at saying, look, is there a, is there a way that I can maybe outside of what I do get? What I need, and that might be getting involved through 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 other organisations or through other settings, to 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 meet what it is that I'm looking for. Whether that's personal values, whether it's trying to strive towards a specific goal. If I know that my consultant's not being very supportive for this rotation is just really not going very well, then is there another way that that I can, I can yeah, I can I can source what is is that I'm I'm looking for, or it might it be a case of saying, Do you know, what, this is just a write off for this six months. I'll just get through it, and then hopefully the next one will be a lot better not ideal because that basically we're saying is that there's a system that's that's broken from that point of view mm. Um but but I think there is also a way that as individuals we need to somehow learn to craft a system which isn't quite fit or doesn't quite work for us and I think also and, and certainly I'd be interested to hear your experiences is that transition when you go as medical students to to start uh, entering practice or, or into your, your F1 years this whole thing of you know you, you sort of I guess reach where you want to be and, and suddenly the you, you look behind the curtain and actually behind the curtain isn't really what you expected mm. and then <clears throat> there's that massive shock
1: yeah
3: uh, and how do you prepare people for that as well because when when people there is a gap between what people want expect and, and what reality is then that's also where people suddenly feel really overwhelmed and go I've worked so hard for this and now I'm not sure anymore
2: I think what you said there especially especially at the end was really beautiful where we are training in the NHS, but then if you do have, say, personal goals, great, you know, look outside, network a bit. Um, and I think unless you have that mindset already or, you know, going in to do that, that, I think that's quite difficult to do once you start
0: training. Yeah. Um. So, so both Kevin and Anisha, you both mentioned about um, there should be a system change Um. to, you know, improving working conditions. Uh. So... I suppose like one of the more important factors to improve our working conditions is you know having the time to take a break and and having food, and you know as you mentioned that on like holidays or like I mean on Christmas you can't even get access to hot food, um you know just to sustain health workers keep them going. So now there's um an in- initiative that's gone through the House of Parliament as an early day motion, you know trying to make 24 hour hot food service for all NHS staff a reality. Um, so I spoke with an organiser of a campaign and try to find out a little bit more.
4: Yep, my name's Dr Saleha Mahmood Ahmed. I am a gastroenterologist working as a registrar in Northwest London Deanery. I'm winner of MasterChef in 2017 and author of two cookbooks, Khazana and Foodology.
5: I'm Neely. Um, I am a specialist diabetes podiatrist. I am um, also campaigner for No Hungry NHS staff and founder of Wellbeing Baking Group, Baker Medics.
0: Um, so do you mind going through like what made you start this campaign in the first place?
5: Yeah, so I decided to start this campaign because I have quite a lot of friends who are medics and nurses and I found out from them and also online that whilst doing night shifts they didn't have any food available because um, canteens aren't open 24-7. So I think a few times I offered to give them delivery deliveries a few times and then I just thought this is quite ridiculous because it kept hap- happening consistently. So I decided enough's enough, we have to do a campaign and I tried to get the government involved and everybody involved because I think it's ridiculous that we have to put up with hunger whilst we're working um and it can affect the way you work and it can affect your well-being and your mental health and physical health and it
4: shouldn't be that way really
0: mm. yeah i completely agree and so he hurt. so now you're a reg now is that your experience
4: Yeah I mean it's a decade now almost since I graduated. Um, I first started doing night shifts as um, a final year medical student actually um, to try and get into the swing of what it would be like as a as a foundation year one doctor doing night shifts because you know um, back in the day all F1s had to do night shifts and I know that's not the case anymore and um, it was really really tough the first night I think I only survived until two or three o'clock in the morning and then the registrar who was there said look your medical student students you don't have to be doing this so you've experienced enough go home well done um and actually I realized how immensely physically straining it is to do a night shift nothing really prepares you for a night of adrenalized working of uh, you know doing a night shift it's incredibly straining on your body mentally physically and um you know you are more stretched because there's less staff in the hospital the complexity of the patients that you see can be um can can be basically a bit more or uh, they are the patients are more complex in the on a night shift because you don't have the support of multiple consultants to get opinions from your ability to order investigations is hard so you really end up in a situation where you are in a very stretched environment and one of the key things that gives you comfort and really contributes to that deep sense of well being is to be able to have that short break in the middle of the night where you can sit and eat a good meal. And if you're organized and you've brought one in for yourself, all's well and good. Um, but actually, we all have lives. Some of us have children. We're doing things. And sometimes we just can't organize ourselves enough to be able to bring a, a proper cooked meal, as well as do night shifts, as well as catch up on on the sleep that we need, as well as, you know, answer those hundreds of emails piling up and meet a deadline for an exam or whatever it is that we're doing. Um And so I realized the importance of eating food on a night shift very early on in terms of contributing to my own well-being. And then as I grew senior, I realized how important it was for my team to be able to have a good sense of well-being through eating good food um, and I distinctly remember one night on call where we realized that the, for, for the preceding two or three nights we'd been so busy that we'd left our food till really late and some of us were, were so stretched that we didn't bring food in so we one of us bought in a sack of potatoes I, I kid you not a sack of potatoes and um, the other person bought cheese and the other person bought butter and we sat there in the middle of the night 3 a.m on a uh, in front of a microwave in a staff area microwaving potatoes to have as jacket potatoes in the middle of the night so you know and it was the best feeling to be able to have something warm and comforting in the middle of the night as a real bonding exercise there's a degree of spirituality associated with eating together and that's heightened on a night shift somehow um yeah it was great Um, And therefore, you know, that passion that I have for good food really extended to the campaign. And when I found out that Neely, who's the founder of this campaign, um, you know, was looking to bring more people on board. And I was so, so impressed by the amount of work that she'd done already to lay the foundations for trying to make 24-7 availability of NHS food a reality. I was just literally blown away by what she's done so far.
0: And I thought that clip kind of shows, um, you know, it's just an example of like basic facilities to help doctors to get like proper rest and do their job. And, you know, when I was doing research for this episode, um, that's like this BMA fatigue and facilities charter that, you know, ensure that doctors have the basic ability and facilities to have good working conditions and therefore improving well-being. And I just find it surprising that it's not compulsory for all NHS trusts to sign up. Like it's optional for employers to fulfill those requirements
3: yeah i think that's that's only been a a, a much more recent development Mm. but actually i think we even need to go one step backwards and and that is do you even have the ability to take a break because you could have a nice mess facility you could have hot food catering Mm. and and it's so important to take your breaks and i think you know such a high pressurized environment that um, and I think you, as part of your self-care sometimes you have to put your foot down even though it's difficult to say at the very least I'm going to take five minutes to have a cup of tea
0: mm-hmm.
3: um, or to have a slice of toast because you can't work through a whole night shift or a day shift uh, without without taking a break and I think when we want to talk about supporting staff well-being we also need to recognise that because you know so often I've, I've spoken to, to OD or, or HR or well-being teams and they say look we've we've got mindfulness and we've got resilience training and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you speak to the nurses and they go, I haven't got time to go to the toilet. Where have I got time to go and do mindfulness for 30 minutes? Uh, and it's kind of a case of saying, you know, what what actually are people struggling with and how do we, how do we meet that? Um, and I think sometimes, yes, I think that there needs to be large scale change, you know, policies, shift patterns, more staffing. But I think sometimes it's speaking to people on, on the shop floor and saying, well, what are quick changes that we can do that will actually make a difference? And that might be having more rest facilities, better rest facilities. Um, in, in many environments where I go in, actually, it's, it's coffee. So as Anisha said at the very start, it's saying, you know, where can we get, you know, hot hot drinks, basically, somewhere that we can get refreshments. So I guess maybe Coyote would ask for a higher quality refreshment. But, uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's It's about... Yeah, listening and saying, what, what are small, simple things that we can start off and do now that might actually have a, uh, a demonstrable impact on, on the people who are working in that environment?
0: We'll discuss a little bit more about doctors' working conditions, but that'll be right after this message from our sponsor.
6: Indemnity. You've probably not given it much thought, but it won't be long until the risk of claims and patient complaints becomes all too real. Whatever lies ahead, you need experts in your corner who offer indemnity and a whole lot more. That's why it pays to be with medical protection. There's our free membership during your medical school years, our wealth of training resources to help you become the best doctor you can be, and our international experience that protects you during your elective, no matter how far from home you end up. In fact, there are many reasons why our members worldwide trust us to support and protect them throughout their careers. And if you're looking for one more, every week one lucky new joiner wins £183. That's the average student weekly spend. Just join for free and you're automatically entered into the draw. That's why UK medical students choose to be part of medical protection. You can't blame them, so why not join them? Visit medicalprotection.org to find out more.
1: I'm thinking back to my um, foundation assistantship eight-week block um, at the start of the year. Um, And I had such a great time in working on the ward that I was was on because it was so well-structured and all the consultants were amazing vibes. And they would literally make everyone go down the entire team go down to the mess like before the board round or before or me or before the ward round and everyone would just sit down together have toast and biscuits and coffee and one whatever and we people would just sit down and do nothing for 15 minutes and then we'll go on and do whatever we were meant to be we were meant to be doing and mm-hmm. i know for a fact that my work in life is not going to be like that. I know that I have been spoiled by that eight weeks eight eight week stint pretending to be an FY one. But it was but just comparing my experience to my friends who are on other wards experience, I'm just a bit like, oof Wow. <laughs> I really lucked out here. And also just one just one little thing. Kevin triggered me a little bit when he said I, resilience. Like too. resilience <laughs> is like is is my pet peeve because i think resilience mm. is a word used in material science um we talk, we, used to, we used to talk about metals we used to talk about um wood like talk about the resilience of different materials i hate it when we talk about resilience of human beings like why are you trying to push me to my breaking point mm. let me just live
0: Literally. rant over
3: i'm done <laughs> <laughs> I just I just need to clarify my comment. Say I'm not the one who's advocating for resilience and saying when I speak I know, to I know I know I know I know to trust know. folks who, who who have that. And uh, I mean, often when I do sessions, you know, they will be tight along the lines of you know why yoga and resilience is not going to be your answer mm-hmm. because it doesn't address the the underlying system issues. As you've you've quite well put, Coyote, uh, you know, it's the expectation that we expect a lot from 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 people, and it's it's the wrong answer to not even asking the right question ask the right question and then try and find a a corresponding answer and and that's what I was trying to get at with saying you know talk to people on the shop floor and say what actually is the issue because because if you figure out what the issue is you might actually have some some solutions and going back to to Anisha's point I think yeah it's great you know when we do sessions with with, with senior medics and uh, or, or different healthcare workers it's we often talk about looking after the people around you and, and that's giving them permission and telling them to go on their breaks and also leading by example in, in doing so. Um, and that's why by law, you, you actually have rest breaks built into your shifts, um, you know, because they're there by law because we know that you need them. And mm-hmm. there's a whole thing about having a sustainable medical career is that you need um, you need to look after yourselves.
1: Like, I'm just thinking about like systems things and comparing my because I do part-time shifts as a healthcare assistant um, and back in my peak of doing lots of shifts I knew how the shift was going to be the moment I walked onto the ward and I looked at the board because Mm. on on a good shift they would have written on the board what what people's start and finish times are and when their breaks have been scheduled for and I just Mm. and, and then I just think okay the nurse in charge today is on it she knows what's going on or she knows what's. they don't they know what's going on and on the wards i turned up to and the breaks and shift times weren't written on the board it was always a bit more stressful than it needed to be and it was very much like okay it's nine thirty now time for the first breaks to go and someone will literally come see if even if, if even if you're even if you're in the middle of washing a patient someone will literally come and be like I am taking over from you now. Off you go on your break. And that That's was lovely. really good.
0: Yeah, that sounds amazing. I've never seen that in well, now my hospital where I have placements. It's difficult.
2: And on paper, it sounds really lovely to kind of dictate your own breaks and say, no, I need my break now. And... Uh, no um, my colleague is going to take over this cannula let me go and have lunch which ideally would be great but I think when you're on the job and in reality it's not just working it's working in the NHS I feel and it's a transition that I felt and I think is the biggest transition you have from being a student to doctor is that you have so much responsibility not Mm. just over your own health anymore it's With for other people's health. And in that situation, you will keep doing the cannula and you will keep doing the blood. You're not going to let someone take over or let someone else refer. You're not going to refer the patient or, you know, refer to ward cover because at that point, you just need to get the job done and make sure that patient's healthy. And it's just a difficult balance between caring for your own health and caring for other people's health. And it's unfortunate that it has to come down to the fact that I, as a doctor, have to choose that. And again, like Kevin said, it should be a system-led decision. The system should be set up that I'm not having to stress about that in my head. Because default, my thinking will go straight to caring for someone else. I'm not going to be thinking it through. I'm thinking, no, oh, it's been four hours. I must take my hot chocolate now. I need to do this cannula and then I need to go home on time or try to. So I think it's really nice to talk about, you know, someone else taking over the washing and but I think when you have that medico-legal responsibility on you, which is mm. the big transition I felt from going to a student to F1, I won't take the risk. I will do my best job and I will go home after and feel at peace.
3: If I focus on on, on the research literature, so that relationship between doctor wellbeing and patient care is one that we often talk about, right? Mm. It's a very complex relationship, but to just simplify it, what we do know quite clearly is doctors' positive wellbeing. So when doctors are happy, are engaged, so the put you know, good stuff. That's very clearly associated with patient outcomes. So so patients have better outcomes. Things like burnout and depression, so negative well-being outcomes. Their relationship with patient outcomes is is actually not clear. In some situations, yes, there's a relationship that we expect, but in many situations, no. And one of the working assumptions around this is actually what Anisha you 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 put very nicely is that you have that sense of responsibility that you rather put you you'll overcome any sort of struggles that you yourself might have, whether that might be tiredness or, or you know, fatigue, hunger, or struggling with your own mental health to put your patient first so that you make sure your patient doesn't actually suffer or, or, or receive um, poor quality care. But of course, over a longer period of time, then then questions would then emerge as to what impact that has on the individual doctor. So then we're thinking about the sustainability of a workforce or saying, well, patient care might not be affected. One patient you're going to give a to, or 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 whatever procedure might, might receive adequate adequate or good care but it's sort of 10 20 30 years down the line when doctors are leaving the the workforce mm. and we don't have enough mm. that actually there's going to be a, a knock-on effect it's not a direct immediate impact but actually it's looking at the bigger picture stuff as well I, I think most of the people listening are probably medical students or, or or junior doctors and I think there's often this feeling that you don't have a lot of power and influence over what you know what's going on but I think you you do have some Uh, authority and and, and some control. I think the first thing is to recognize that um, the whole thing around personal care is really important, you know, do what you can to support yourself. Um, The other thing is about sharing good practice, Um, you know, whether that's on a formal or informal basis as well. Look at how you can build up resources in the workplace. And that could be, again, social, it could be changing work practices. Um, and I mean, we didn't really talk about politics. I think Kayle alluded that to, to that a little bit. I think we talk about system change and that could be at a local level being being a rep. It could be a national level with, with trade unions and, and, and so forth. But I think there needs to be people who, who, who speak out and who speak up. And that's not for everyone and that's okay. But I think everyone can do a part at a small level or at a, at a higher level. And I think recognizing fundamentally that at the end of the day, because it's a systems issue, if things are difficult and things are struggling, it's not... It's not necessarily your fault you just you know you're, you're a person within the wider system there's things that you can do to look after yourself um but equally also means that you're not the only one you're not the only one who's probably feeling the same way you're not the only one who might be struggling so reach out talk to people um because there are others who are very likely feeling the exact same way that, that you are
1: definitely um we need a lot more social sciences um thinking and sort of um occupational psychology sort of thing um, more in medicine and in the rooms of the key decision makers rather than just people thinking oh yeah, I'm a doctor and I know this, so we should do it this way without consulting people whose, I guess, life's work is in this specific field. Um, I think definitely more of an MDT outside Mm -hmm. of including people outside of healthcare and yeah this was such a lovely episode to record because I've always not I've always been interested in systems thinking and all that sort of stuff And I did like my SSE in third year in human Mm. factors and dermatology and stuff now you've kind of reignited my interest again so like I might be yeah, I'm. I'm now thinking. Do I want to do an MSc in Human Factors somewhere? I don't know. Oh, so no. th- that that's where I'm at right now. So thank you so much, Kevin.
2: I guess I don't have a big picture anymore. I feel like now I've started work. I've just I'm just a little mini person working, and it's what Kevin, what you said is really lovely. That actually, even as an F one or you know, as medical students, we do have an impact. And again, I think it's kind of what is needed is more of a culture change where. A, I think a culture change in the way doctors see themselves. I think we need to see ourselves more as humans, kind of less as people coming into work and sorting everything out and then breaking down and going home. And then B, sorry, that was very dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do that. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, B, I guess for people like me, like F1s, um, it's just knowing that we don't have to accept what's going on but no one really tells us that we don't have enough people telling us that Mm -hmm. the 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 culture needs changing because at the end of the day you just come in to do your job and you accept what's around you so i completely agree with what cody said we need say you know other specialities coming in advising us on how we can change because we don't know that especially when you're a young doctor you're just going to copy what other people are doing
0: yeah yeah thank you so much for sharing um like your perspectives and opinion in this episode because it's really given me a lot of insight into what it's like to work as a, a doctor in today's nhs and and i guess it's also good to know that um you know uh, we do have the power to change things um going forward That's all we have time for today. If you'd like to hear other episodes, please subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts and in two weeks' time you'll be notified of our next episode. While you wait for the next one, do check us out on social media. We are BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Let us know what you think about the podcast using the hashtag Sharp Scratch. I'd love to hear your ideas for what we should cover later in the season. It's also really helpful to us if you can leave a rating and a review on wherever you get your podcasts as it helps other med students to find a show. Until then, it's goodbye from us. Bye. Bye.